how Dominic Davis is in the perfect role. That was perfect for him yesterday. That is what we talked about 15 episodes ago. That's this true. is what Dominic should be. Yeah, the, the lanky man who can just lean forward. They were crushing all those short yardage ones. And then you go, hey, if there's a second and one, I'm wanting to drop back and throw one 60 yards downfield. So I, I did not watch as we welcome you to the breakdown. Uh, I just jump it right in. Yeah, okay. Uh, might as well. I didn't curse. Uh, I shit damn hell. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not watch a big chunk of uh, the Montreal Toronto game because I was fishing with Brad Snopley, which was a glorious experience, which we'll have podcasts for you down the road of us hanging out talking about that. Are we doing like live Nat sound from there? Like, well, uh, so bloop, I, bloop, bloop. I, I wanted to, I brought like a little handheld recorder, but it was so goddamn windy on the water. Oh, no. Um, that it, there was just no point. Like I tested just to see what it would sound like. And there was absolutely no point, but bloop. Yeah. two lanky men, <laughs> both handsome in their own right. <laughs> He's spending a day on the river. It, when, when I get a chance to post a conversation with him about fishing, people are going to like fall in love with the fact that he is way too obsessed it's he likes it more than anything he's ever done in his life including football it's so much fun to to listen to him talk about it and just the strategy behind it and the way that he approaches it and how competitive he like we had one on the hook yesterday and it got off i swear i had to talk him off the ledge (laughs) like he was so angry at himself like inconsolable and then but we were also having these like great life chats and you know parenting and all these different things and uh, anyways, we started talking about things and he was trying to apply these like Buddhist philosophies that we were talking about as we were fishing. So he's like, you know what? It's not my fault. It is not the fish's fault. I don't need to find someone to blame. It's the way the situation unfolded. And I recognize the emotion, but I don't have to register it or let it ruin the rest of oh my, my day. God. That is very sad. It was so great, though, because he was trying to find ways to not be pissed off at the fish because his natural reaction was just to be pissed off. So uh, you go to fish with Snoppy, like, does he catch like 120 fish, but they're all shorter than the average fish? So this is the thing. He does musky fishing. And and so he's going deep then is what we're saying. Yes. That's not what he did as a receiver. No, (laughs) uh, but it's like it's a lot of open water stuff where it's pretty choppy but then he also like kind of goes towards where the the weeds are and tries to kind of weave his way in throughout there because that's where they like to be but he's like if you're out for nine hours you might catch one maybe two okay it's thousands of casts in a given day to be able to, to be able to catch like a couple so i was out with him for three hours i probably cast 500 plus times didn't get a nibble didn't get, a, didn't get a single thing, but it's fun because we were just like hanging out, talking. And, and as we're talking, it's just sling it out, bring it in, play around with it, see if you can get anything, nothing, sling it out, bring it back in. And we were just, and then we would move up the up the river and down the river in this different spot and under Through a bridge here. And, yeah. house. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, just to bring in the analytics into this, yeah. you cast like three times a minute for three hours like that? Uh, at least, yeah, I would say three, four times for at least three hours. Oh. Yeah. And it, um, that is yeah it's but it the mentality of it for him and it's funny too because he does these fishing excursions and he was trying to talk to me about how um he's like you know people give up or people go on their phones because they he's like the whole point of musky fishing the reason it's so rewarding is that they're difficult to catch but they're like you know somewhere between 35 and 50 inches when you get them like they're these big monsters that you can actually kind of celebrate like the the excitement of the catch and all this so he was like trying to coach me along and be like, you know, a lot of people give up and a lot of people. And I was like, Brad, I can do anything for an extended period of time. If I'm surrounded by this, because yeah. it was like, we're on the river. It's beautiful trees. There's these great cottages and family beaches and all this stuff around. And I'm like, it's super combo here. We're the only people on the water. It's like, it was just so beautiful. And he's like, yeah, actually, you're not really the normal person that I take out. He's like, most of the time I have to like coach people to keep going and it's going to be okay. And, you know, we'll yeah. get one and all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty irregular to have somebody who comes out and is just happy to be like around nature and, and relaxing, I guess. But anyways, every, everything you said there sounds super exhausting to me. So it sounds like I'm the guy who would normally <laughs> go like, can I just fire up Netflix? Will that scare the fish? Yeah. 
He's so okay. Sino- that's, that's good though. Sinopolyfishing.com. If people are interested in the Ottawa area of going out and having a fishing excursion, because he's trying to build up his client base and he's, he's really good at what he does, which is really fun. But, Love it. Um, all right. So uh, let's get into a little bit here is first and foremost, it's great to see you. You as well. Like I just see you through time. the, through the phone or through zoom. And now uh, we're just in person. I'm like, I don't, this is amazing. I know. This it's, is how you look like in person. Cause I just see your TV head. <laughs> Right. Or I just see you through the zoom. So this is great. I know it's good to be in person. It's always different in person, which is always better. Like it's the reason why so many times you try to do things in person and broadcasting, because if you're doing a sit down interview, it's always better when you're able to actually talk to somebody face to face. So it is nice to be able to do that. And the other thing uh, that right off the top, I wanted to mention is uh, congratulations on everything with, uh, with CJOB in the first week and getting it off the ground because I, I listened back to some of the, the radio broadcasts and it was, it sounded great. Thanks buddy. Like you and Tuck sound friggin' awesome, man. Cause I was away last Friday when you were doing the game and I wanted to catch a little piece of it. And so I kind of dove in while I was out on the paddleboard in Lake Erie last week online and i was like ah oh, this feels so good to, to hear you enjoying it and doing it at a high level in winnipeg so five man no doug they appear to just they appear to know to blitz when winnipeg goes empty it looks like that's when they're bringing the blitz oh, yeah. i love just being able it's so good uh, just being around live football and winnipeg ottawa week one 1917 winnipeg wins was not a particularly well played football game mm-hmm. But for me, I don't care because it was exciting as hell, yeah. right? And that's all That's all we want as a broadcast. It could be sloppy. It could be terrible. Caleros could have to have one knocked down by Drew Wolitarski. He could throw a dropped interception to Money Hunter. Jalen Acklin drops an 80-yard touchdown. You're like, this. Just, just bring me the exciting plays. Bring me the fun plays. Bring me the conversation points of, okay, Winnipeg won. Mark Leggio kicked the winning field goal. There's a storyline. They couldn't run the ball. There's a storyline. The defense gave up 380 yards. That could have been 460 yards. Okay, that's a storyline. Kalaros and Ellingson look like they've played together for 10 years, even though they haven't seen each other in the same uniform in eight years. Uh, Dalton Schoen, the, the rookie, gets his head blown off, fumbles the football. Hideous mistake. Will it ruin him? No, he goes on to have critical catches, including one on the final drive. And oh, by the way, the Zach Caleros potential concussion storyline reemerges with three plays to go. Drew Brown, ice cold off the bench. Bink, boom, boom. Bombers win. Like yeah. there's just so much to talk about from that one game. And that was one of uh, Saskatchewan. Hamilton didn't appear to be a real good game from no. the first week. Uh, what with all the field goals and stuff, but first 15 pos- possessions when there was an opportunity to convert on second down, neither of them did. Yeah. <laughs> like, and again, I wasn't watching that one live because guys like you and I, we go back and we review it closer. So I'm like, I don't really need to watch this the first time live. And I text one of my friends that lives in Hamilton. That's a Ticat season ticket holder. I was like, Hey, what's happening? He goes, it appears that Hamilton and Saskatchewan are trying to set a record for most possessions. I was like, Oh really? <laughs> that's, right. that's how this one's going. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Montreal Calgary was exciting, but uh, awful storylines in that one of we lost William Stanback for quite some time. And we thought we might lose Bowley by Mitchell for quite some time, but tight, if not again, well executed. And then the unfortunate one of Nathan Rourke world beater, um, but then BC's on a buy in week yeah. two. So to your, you had, a, you had the article on CFL.ca and people have said, well, how, how did Nathan Rourke look? I'm like, well, according to Marshall's article, he threw one ball over 12 yards yeah. downfield. So, so average depth of target, the leader in week one was uh, Masoli at 14.3. Yeah. And last place was Rourke at 5.1. Like, Which is a real, when people say, well, how did they do? Okay, the offense moved it real well. However, you're not going to get the peewee league <laughs> defense yeah. facing you every time, right? It was legitimately shocking, though, to see, like, when Chris Jones was saying at halftime, we didn't line up correctly, we couldn't adjust correctly, we didn't peel with the back, we didn't, like, that 5.1 is because, obviously, James Butler looked incredibly explosive, was, was running through everybody, but if they're not going to peel, like, if, if I'm reading things out as a quarterback, most of your reads are, you know, we're blocking downfield, and my first read is flying Butler to the flats, and nobody peels with him, and you throw it to him, he just runs to the end zone, and you're scoring points over and over and over again. It's like, Why bother anything else, right? How did they not adjust? How did they not improve? How did their eyes not become more refined as the game went on once they got a better feel for the flow of the game? Like, it's not... And the crazy thing is, too, like, we were talking throughout training camp about, well, Calgary and Edmonton, they have more practices, they should be more ready. Edmonton looked like they hadn't even been on the field. Wow. 
there the gm may need to take some of the blows for that one yeah. like we're just trimming you know what we don't need you guys get out you're gone and we're going to bring in a couple guys from toronto super late that's true that is true. um just just whatever you guys need or don't need like well I don't. I don't know. I could not uh, pr- properly assess uh, Wesley Apollon versus uh, who was the guy they traded uh, with Kyle Saxlid. Oh, uh, linebacker Grant Grant McDonald. Grant McDonald. I'm like yeah. I'm not able to assess Apollon versus McDonald, but could McDonald have done better having a year of experience? I don't know, but right. he was one of the he was one of the two Canadians that Chris Jones yeeted out the door for a slightly better draft pick. Like, okay, well. You, you might need to go back and at some point we're going to go back when you win five of 18 games and go, ah, eh, the GM kind of screwed me on this one. Right. And we'll, the GM will hope to have at least at some point in the season go, okay, well, we put this piece in place for next year, 2020, as long as he, as long as he's thinking, okay, I'm building for 2023. I will ignore just about everything they do this season, yep. except for maybe uh, I'm not sure why he pulled Nick Arbuckle in that game for a Trey Ford series when they're getting smushed. Yeah, and, and my concern with that one was like, yeah, super cool storyline, being able to see Rourke and O'Connor on one side and Trey Ford on the other sideline. And I, like, I could celebrate that. I can get behind that. But it was the idea that if you are coming from IMG Academy, Penn State, UBC, like Michael O'Connor, you can get thrown into a game, you'll survive. If you're Nathan Rourke, you've been an all-conference quarterback in the MAC playing for Ohio, you can survive. If you're Trey Ford, you play at Waterloo. No slight to Waterloo here. They've done a great job rebuilding their program since they were basically death penalty because of a steroid scandal and all the rest. Mm -hmm. But when he got there, Waterloo was 3-30. and When he left, they were a 500 team. And Trey Trey is an incredible quarterback, but I think, you know, we always do, you and I always laugh about quarterback wins. People always talk about winning as a a quarterback metric and, and for whatever that's worth and very little. But the reality is that he still won 50% of the games that he played in, in the OUA. Right. And so when they went, it won was, 11% before he right. arrived. Right? And it yeah. was like, let, they would kill the bottom feeders. And then they would try to strike on the Guelphs and the Westerns, and the McMasters and the Lauriers and the Queens at times. But to take a guy that has that as his background and be like training camp. Okay. You're a first round pick. You're not getting cut. We're going to give you an opportunity. He's on the roster. People are talking about him being dressed as a wide receiver. Is he really a quarterback two? Is he quarterback three? Is he, it was all very much like you couldn't tell what was happening. And then all of a sudden he's in the football game when they're already down by a billion and BC's got their ears pinned back and coming after him. And they're going to, and I was like, there's literally not a worse situation. You could put a young Canadian quarterback in to set him up for failure. And on the very first play, he doesn't even get to his, I don't even know if he got to his first read. It was caught the snap, looked at something and then said, I'm running. And I'm like, of, of course, I don't blame Trey for that. Uh, that is inevitable that that is what was going to happen yeah. in that spot for him. So I was personally, as much as I was excited for Nathan Rourke in the evening that he had and his execution and his demeanor, I was also really disappointed for Trey Ford that, and he's a, he's a headstrong kid. I know Trey decently well. It's not going to affect his long career. It's not going to change who he is. I just wish for him that he had a better situation in that first outing because he deserves better and it's honestly the reason why we went to commercial break after he got drafted to Edmonton and I looked at Dwayne Ford and I just kind of was like oh man that's not a great spot it's okay like well, as we have military helicopters go over behind Par- Parliament Hill behind us here this is a great spot however <laughs> with Parliament in the background well and and that's Chris Jones I've never thought he cares about the offense I've never believed that he cared about the offense. If you watch those three Saskatchewan seasons, you, you look at that and go, oh, it's, it's Brandon Bridge again. Okay. And then you, you call to all these receiver. Okay. Well, I don't really believe that you, you, you're minimizing like maybe the best quarterback in the CFL and Zach Kolaris. Okay. Well, I don't know that I believe you care about offense. Right. And I, the, the other part of it is, okay. Did, uh, did, did Arbuckle need a break and we just needed to do that or is, is the point of throwing in Trey Ford, hey, you know what, this kid can deal with it because, frankly, I screamed at him <laughs> during the interview process, and he can take it. Mm-hmm. Maybe may, I hope it's because he truly believes that's the best way to deal uh, to, to, for Trey Ford's growth. I, I, I hope that's it. I have, I, I have nothing I, yeah. to back up either way, but I hope, that, I hope that's what a coach who drafts a quarterback in the first round is trying to do and help that kid grow. Or at least save Nick Arbuckle's life by giving him a breather for whatever it was, three passes. You know what like. it gave me flashbacks to was 2017, I think, uh, 
yeah, 2017 when Saskatchewan was the crossover team, mm-hmm. one in Ottawa and then went to Toronto. Remember it was KG and Brandon Bridge in 2017 flip-flopping back and forth and back and forth. And it was like KG started playing. I don't have this specifically, but I remember right before the half, it was like Bridge just got thrown in. And he played well for in the a, Toronto game. Yeah, I feel like I final. feel like Glenn started that really, really poorly. And yeah. he went, OK, I get it with with what you've been doing this season. I get it. Right. Yeah. And then he went to bridge for a while. And then I was like, well, KG came out, and started the third quarter and then threw an interception and bridge was back in and then bridge didn't play well enough. KG came back in and it was like, so doesn't care. The pattern there has developed and it's hardened of that's how Chris Jones is going to handle. And if if Arbuckle doesn't play well enough, he'll just swap him out and go with Cornelius. But if Cornelius struggles, they'll just throw Trey Ford into games again. Like we could see that again against Saskatchewan this week for all we know. Anything could happen. It's, yeah. it's based on what you had there. It's got to be Nick Arbuckle. Right. Like the Nick, Ar- I need some Nick Arbuckle stands to hit me up at DT on OB on Twitter <laughs> because there's got to be some like where he was in 19 to today through absolutely no fault of yeah. his own Okay, his play in Toronto wasn't amazing, but Toronto had some fundamental flaws, even though they were at a great winning record. And what did they do yesterday? Oh, oh, hey, they won a one score game, which as we talk about here, uh, I will contend is a great deal of luck. Like a court, like a guy misses a 21 yard field goal level of luck. Yeah. 93% since, since we could start checking records, Guys hitting 90 or pardon me, 21 yard field goals, 93% of the time. And David Cote shanks it left. Argos win. Yeah, well, you are one and oh. However, I listened to the Mike Hogan call of it this morning because they posted on, uh, I think it was at CFL underscore news that put up all four of the quarters in TSN 1050 broadcast. And um, in <laughs> in the call, basically him and the J his color guy in the booth are, are both saying it'd be great if Sean Oakman could get a hand up here, six, nine. You know, he's got length and all the rest. And you wonder what impact that might have had on him. But <laughs> as you go to line up for that, it's like there's no way that you can allow a 6'9 guy in the middle getting into your head. There's no way that you can allow where the hashes are to get into your head. It looks ridiculous when you see the camera shot of where they are and how big the uprights are. Like they are massive and right in front of his face. And it just punches it to the outside of that that upright and it's as soon as i saw it i texted you last night and i said that's the worst field goal miss since blank and i know that we don't you know i don't have an an analytical memory of every field goal that's been taken but i I can't remember one that felt in the moment that instantaneously just dumb just bad just terrible and bc did the same thing last year against toronto at bmo field Oh, like where the, BC was just missing three field goals in the final the Jimmy five Camacho minutes. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Camacho, and then you go into overtime, and Toronto ends up pulling it out. And it's like, man, they they've gotten some home luck for a place that isn't real man. kind to them when it comes to number of fans that come out and the support and all the rest. They've had some great home success the last couple of years at being able to squeeze out games that, like you say, the luck stuff. Like they probably haven't deserved to win many of those. Yeah, you remember uh, last year in the NFL, Green Bay and Cincinnati kept kept kicking yeah. field goals and then went to overtime and nobody could hit it. Mason Crosby can't hit the Bengals guy can't hit like that was that was pretty bad. But I, I'd be curious because when I went back and, and dug it, it was uh, 120 of 129. Yep. And then uh, at uh, I think it's at CFL stats, but it's a it's a, a guy I follow. I uh, said, oh, they were three of four in 2004 as well. So 123 of 133 since we can start tracking records of 21 yard field goals. That's how often they're hit. I would be stunned if any of those was a game winner. Right. Right. Or something that low. I'm, I'm just seeing if I could yank it up on my phone here uh, because I to to win a ball game shorter than a convert. Yeah. Um, like Justin Medlock is rolling over in the grave. He'll be in in 60 years already <laughs> because it just, it was, it was remarkable on top of a game that was atrocious in the first half. And then some stuff started happening in the second half, but our, I don't know. We talk about, we talk about Vernon Adams getting yes, pulled yeah, yeah. after four pass attempts for, I don't know, 25 yards of offense. You, they couldn't you look do that up anything. for a second and I'll, uh, I'll let people know to go to fox 40 shop.com to get themselves uh, all hooked up with any gear that you need. Of course, use the promo code CFP 15 is where you can find it. They got coaching boards and whistles and uh, ball pumps and all sorts of good stuff for you there. So if you'd like to, uh, to go get your ball pumps, make sure you go to fox 40 shop.com. Did they, did they take my, my, uh, I taken my tip s- of 
Get your balls pumped, Fox 40. No, uh, I should have taken some of the uh, Fox 40 nautical equipment out when I went fishing with Sinopoly. I didn't even think oh. that. they got a, they got a whole fishing line that's uh, it's up for grabs there. Maybe I'll have to I'll gift Brad as a thank you for taking me on the water. I'll send him some Fox 40 fishing gear. I love it. Maybe I love it. That, but um, I felt real bad for Kahari Jones on Thursday because there's a Same. guy there's a guy who his job is absolutely on the line. Whether whether you believe the thing that Danny Machocha wants to be the head coach or not. Gahari's job is on the line and it's tethered to thank goodness Trevor Harris chose them one, but it's tethered to Vernon Adams. And you and I have talked about Vernon Adams a ton. I am not on team Adams because he does some unbelievable things with staying alive in the pocket and creating the potential for plays, but then he just doesn't follow it up with solid quarterback decisions right. after that. So yesterday things are, Things are not going well. The beginning of that game was when it was six five at halftime. It was it was as bad as six five at halftime sounds. And early in the second quarter, I'm at a restaurant here in Ottawa. I'm like, Trevor Harris is in the game now. When Vernon was two of four, and the last thing last thing was Vernon. He'd gotten sacked. He got just crushed from the backside. Um, whoever it was that tracked him down. I'm like, oh okay. Well, is it was he injured? But he's Standing on the sidelines, Matthew Shinetti's tweeting that no, Vernon's ready to go. Got his helmet on and just pulled. And I went, "Oh, so have we? Re- have we reached the point now? Have mm-hmm. we reached the point that that I, as a fan, have been in for some time of like you need to you need to go somewhere else?" So this is uh, my fear. And again, I'm I'm piecing this together as somebody who didn't tune in until the fourth quarter of this football game, and I, so I'm going back through Twitter to find out why is VA out, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out okay, what was his stat line? Two for four? Okay, I two for four for I, fourteen. I, yeah, I didn't see the two for four, and I didn't see the couple of runs that he had as well. But I can piece together there that I, I assume he played poorly enough that it was validated and. I haven't gone back through and watched the game as of yet, but this is my fear of connecting the dots from the things that we've seen reported and the things that I saw in the fourth quarter is that if Danny is interested in coaching, he's down on the sideline last night. I had somebody text me that like he was, there was a shot of him on the sideline last oh, night. I didn't see, but that would have been a, so and oh I, again, I, I just got texted that by a friend. So I don't know if that's actually true or not. So I could be totally wrong, but if he was on the sideline last night, there was a moment in the fourth quarter where TSN cut to a sideline shot of Kahari and he was coaching so hard. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he was coaching in a way that was uh, almost like when you, you see somebody who knows that they're at risk of losing their girlfriend in high school. And so they're like showing up with flowers and let me take you out to lunch and let me hold your hand in public. So everybody knows that you're my girlfriend and nobody else's girlfriend. And it's like, that's what it felt like to me was let me make a show of like, I'm doing everything I can possibly do to make this work. And I'm, and my fear is because two for four is not enough time for you to pull Vernon Adams jr. Again, without seeing those snaps, yeah, it's not enough time, in my opinion, for you to pull a quarterback and say we need to give Trevor Harris an opportunity in this game to spark us. And my fear here is that I see the combination of him coaching super hard, and I also hear that Danny Machocha is on the sideline, and we also hear that Danny Machocha wants Trevor Harris to be the guy. Is Kahari playing Trevor Harris way too quickly in that spot? Because his opinion is either I can keep my job and play the guy that the general manager wants to play quarterback. Or I can lose my job and have that other guy that wants to be the head coach be the head coach and he'll just play his quarterback anyways. Which the prudent thing would be seem to be okay. Well, I'll just play if, the guy that if, he wants and I'll keep my job. If the GM can fire me, I sh- I should probably go but with that. If that's where Kahari's at, then that's prudent. But, but that's a terrible setup to work under professionally, where it's like I'm playing the guy I don't actually want to play because, as you say, I've been tethered to VA. And our mentalities and our playing style match up a lot in terms of taking the deep shot and being aggressive and being athletic and moving the pocket. And, and it's like Trevor's a totally different quarterback who needs a totally different offense. So now you're pulling the guy that you actually believe in. This is mm-hmm. what it looks like to me. You're pulling the quarterback you actually believe in to play the guy that your boss wants you to play because you're scared your boss wants your job. <laughs> How do you think? And then add in the secret sauce of Gary Stern in the booth being this fun, wacky villain of, a, of an owner who is stirring the pot with every type of a tweet. Yeah. And it's like, I get it. It's fun. It's different. It's entertaining. It creates intrigue in the league. It also creates chaos. There's a reason why most owners don't do that. 
And when you're in a volatile situation like this, where your boss apparently seems to want your job and is getting you to play players at primary positions that you don't want to be playing, mm-hmm. it's, it's chaos. It's a mess. Like that, that is a terrible working relationship to have. If again, I'm connecting a lot of dots that are not concrete, not finalized reporting. Yeah. But if even 70% of that stuff is true DT, that is a disaster waiting to happen. That is Kahari gets fired regardless of playing Trevor Harris. Yeah. Trevor Harris comes in, rolls an ankle. Now we're playing Dominique Davis with Danny Machocha as the head coach on the sidelines. And Gary Stern is angry tweeting throughout the year. Like that's where we're headed. If this is going to go down like this. And I don't understand why people in a professional football setting can't see the road that they are sending themselves down. Interesting. Uh, Gary Stern needs to keep doing his stuff because it makes us talk about it. (laughs) And we need more owners like that. Uh, We need more owners who are in William Standback jerseys at the game and, and going, how did he miss a field goal that short? Like I, I'm not, a, I'm not a football expert. I just own the team, but how the hell did he miss? We need, we need that. So I, I feel like any GM, any coach just needs to kind of block that out and go, he's going to do what he's going to do. And uh, if it's a real problem, it'll become a thing. I'll, but I'll ignore the social media part. The, I, my boss wants my job. I, I was talking to, I did a couple of IG lives with Milt Stiegel and he said, he feels like his buddy Kahari is, is absolutely on the hot seat, like unprompted. And it's like, no, it's Kahari's on the hot seat. And he says he fully believes Machocha wants that job. And I don't know if Milt's talked to Kahari or Milt's just connecting dots on his own. But if, if your boss wants your job, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do other than go 16 and two, right? And short of going 16 and two, you're probably going to be on the way out. The, and then Montreal is caught with these could not, I'm trying to think of more different quarterbacks to put together in the same team in the CFL. Short because Matt Nichols isn't currently playing in the no. CFL. Um, that would be the one to pair with Vernon Adams. That would be the most diametrically opposed, right? Yeah. Short, short area, short targets, super accurate. Trevor Harris, who actually showed some scrambling in that game, that makes you go, okay, that's that's nice. Vernon Adams, let's YOLO ball this down the field. I'm going to keep plays alive. I can run, I can run, and you can't catch me. Uh, they just couldn't be more opposite, and to share the same ba- shame, same quarterback room is intriguing because what happens when Vernon comes out? Okay. Well, Trevor's got to go in Harris moved the ball down the field though. Like Gino Lewis finished with over a hundred yards. And I went, that's yeah, that's Gino Lewis. You need that. And you got, you have some pieces, but as I look at the, as I look at the East and I watched that game, I thought one, I feel so much better about picking Ottawa to win the East because every other East team looked terrible in their first game. And in Montreal's case, their second game. But uh, as I kind of look at that Montreal team, I go, what's what's really letting folks down here is the general managing like i don't know who i assume machocha is picking the players but the the head coach has some say in that but montreal is not an overwhelmingly talented team and there was 58 minutes of that game where i didn't know jake winicky was still alive i thought i don't even think i saw him in the fourth quarter they, I, I, when I got back to the hotel, I heard Rod say, we haven't said Jake Winicky's name a, a, a bunch. Shout out Rod Smith, who's the best. Um, <laughs> Jake Winicky, I, I, I'm like, did he opt out this season? What's happened? Because he led the league in touchdowns last year, and he had zero targets in that game until the two-point convert. Really? None until the two-point convert that would have tied it. And you go, okay, um, can Quan Brake come back? I don't, I, I don't know. But the GM has absolutely let that team down. Like that's the least talented roster in the in the uh, East Division, so, in, in my mind. But this was something we talked about a bit in the offseason that we're now seeing come to fruition, though, is that when you watched Montreal last year, defensively, it was Patrick Levels, Taekwon Glass, David Menard, Woody Barron. Nick Usher was Nick, top five yeah. in quarterback pressures. But it's like you had so many of these names throughout the secondary and i get it there's money hunter was unbelievable last year for them always going to be players that are going to step up and make plays for you in new opportunities but when ottawa pillages the number of people that they did defensively from them and then bc gets woody baron and david menard and then offensively it's like okay and, and this is i guess my real frustration with montreal through these first two weeks you and again this goes into the the whole idea of it just being a chaotic situation in my opinion you lost all these players on defense. You're making the best of it that you possibly can. You weathered the storm against Bo. You held them to 50% completion rate in the first half. You come close to being able to win that game. Can't get the job done. Toronto, you're a kick away. You should be one and one and coming home for your home opener. You're not because the kicking game fails you. But then it's like you lost all these people on defense. 
your plan was continuity on offense. VA is spending the offseason working out with Gino Lewis and flying out guys and hosting them out in Western, uh, in the Western United States and being able to take care of them and show them all these things. And, and it's like their advantage in a league where there's so much turnover was we have Stanback back, we got Gino, we got Jake, we got VA. Reggie White Jr. back for another right. season after jumping into the lineup last year. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like VA is on the bench. William Stanback's hurt. Jake Winnicke's in witness protection. So your advantage, like literally your overall roster advantage, it's not on defense. It's not on special teams because yeah. you were supposed to have Jeff Reinbold, who's a hell of a special teams coordinator. He's not there. Byron Archibald has stepped up and doing a pretty good job in filling, but Reinbold's a different cat. Like he's going to get some different things going for you that's going to make a difference. So it's like your, your advantage in each and every matchup is no longer special teams or defense because of the, the lack of roster overall big name talent that you don't have it there. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be on offense and you, by injury, you've taken away one by benching, you've taken away another and by style of play calling or fit or lack of um, communication between Trevor Harris and Jake Winicky, you're taking away a third. So now your team is literally what Gino Lewis and Trevor Harris. Yeah. Which how many games are you going to win? If your team is Gino Lewis and Trevor Harris, probably four to six. Yeah. Which shout out to those of us holding Gino Lewis to lead the league in receiving and Ottawa and Montreal under eight and a half wins. Um, but just, yeah. teams are but, just going to roll coverage towards him though now. Like, and, and oh. I understand that Jake will have his day and Reggie will get into it and Standback will come back. At Kayon, some Julian and, Grant can do some, yeah. can do and some stuff Mayella on the opposite had a side. Nice catch over the middle of the field yep. last night, late in the fourth. And but it's like, I just come back to when I'm looking for advantages and matchups. They they had that if they're able to stick with some of the plan going forward, but this is the, the chaotic stuff is when you are constantly looking for the quick fix and you're panicked and you're being pressured from the front office. And otherwise you just jump to decisions that long-term are detrimental to the health of your organization. And and I'm just, I'm scared right now for Montreal football fans because you have an entertaining, albeit somewhat flawed young quarterback in VA, who's got a high flying offense that was super productive last year and they needed more from their defense. Well, like you say, the GM doesn't, have the ability to retain all of these defensive players they leave lost the advantage there okay our offense is going to be our advantage oops no our offense isn't our advantage what is our advantage we don't have one yeah i i hope they traded a sixth round pick to get walter fletcher the little running back from edmonton uh and little is a relative term but uh walter walter <laughs> to william Stanback, everybody's little <laughs> yeah exactly uh, i i have real high hopes for him based on what he did last season uh, at the end of the season against edmonton because he came into the game against the riders and you're like oh boy this guy can can move so that Montreal that Montreal team like they can open creases and, and make things happen so the right running back can, can do some stuff with that um I want Vernon Adams to be good so much it hurts yeah, yeah. like it hurts because that's where we were at the end of 2019 with Vernon Adams and Cody Fajardo mm-hmm. east west scrambleicious scrambleicious like two <laughs> quarterbacks that that can really move the ball and like to throw the ball and can keep plays alive with their feet and love to run. Like this is CFL's perfect. If these guys take the next step in 21, this is going to be unbelievable. And then it did not happen. I, I want Vernon to be good so bad. Uh, and he just, he hasn't been, and he's not in his second year or third year or fourth year in the CFL. He's been in the league a long What do you think of this comparison, time. DT? Because this is something that I've kind of like, broach the thought of but i don't really know how to to uh, break it down in all honesty is for so long a guy that you and i will be calling his game tonight jeremiah masoli was athletic run around a little bit crazy sporadic throws but he'll get you 300 yards yeah and I don't think that he is a perfectly refined package as we saw in that week one game where he throws a corner to Justin Hardy, where it's like, what are we doing? There's a defender outside and inside. And it's just Nick Taylor interception. (laughs) Yeah. That ball does not need to go there. And he knows it. And I know it. And even talking to Lapo this week, he kind of like says in passing in between bites of his salad on the zoom. It's like, yeah, we're, uh, you know, pretty much everything was good except for one off off schedule decision. I love the term off schedule decision. He says that. That is great. and, And I go, is it fair to say that that off schedule decision was the corner to Hardy? And he kind of pauses and goes, yeah, yeah, that was, that was the one, right? So Masoli has, Oh, and I, I say this as somebody who called tight cats games for six years, Mm. Jeremiah is so much fun to watch play football. Absolutely. He does. He does so many great things, but he always, I shouldn't say always too often 
he makes two to three decisions a game that are detrimental to his team's success. Does that not sound like the definition of VA at various points throughout his month? It really in this stint with Montreal, not the first time, not with Saskatchewan, not with Hamilton. So entertaining, so much potential makes two to three decisions per game that are detrimental to the success of his team. And it seems like what Montreal was going off of with the decision to bench him for Trevor last night was we are no longer willing to put up with those couple of mistakes. And if we get the sense that we are even head towards those mistakes, because you're starting slow and we just don't think you're seeing it that day, we're going to get you out of there because we're going to put the safety robot, Trevor Harrison, who knows exactly where to go with the ball at all times and check down and move around and throw it away and do the things that are efficient and smart and safe. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, but Jeremiah has had a hell of a career for a guy who makes some detrimental decisions to his team's success. Pulled from the East final. Pulled. Pulled. It's like, is, is VA ever going to get to the point where he is more than the guy who's being doubted for those decisions where he's going to be, and, and I'm not, making, no, he won't, he won't be, I'm not making the case for him of he deserves it unquestionably. I'm just, yeah. I'm asking the comparison between him and Jeremiah Masoli, because I'm intrigued by the idea that Masoli needed a lot to evolve because he used to make a lot worse decisions and a lot more often. He's much less of a freewheeling gunner now than he was when he was first in Hamilton. He still makes those decisions and those throws that you're like, hmm, don't love that. At critical times. Right. Too. And that's the problem. That's... It's, it's always been the critical times. But for VA, it's like he hasn't even really gotten the opportunity yet, in my opinion, to mm. fight to fight his way through a lot of those moments. Like Masoli in the 2018 Eastern final playing for Hamilton with June Jones as his offensive coach and head coach here in Ottawa throws three of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Yeah straight into the chest of defenders, one, two, three games over, Trevor Harris blows out the Ticats. And for me, it's like, he had to go through that and actually try to learn from that. Did he learn from it in the way where it's like, I will never do this again? No, he still does it once in a while, but not as often. I just wonder if VA deserves the opportunity to get to the point where he can try to learn from things so that he does those things less often. Because I don't think you're ever going to eliminate it from his game. And I just, I feel like he's... Their, their career trajectories are so interesting to me because of the difference in age. Yeah. Masoli is probably what, five years older, four years older, 33 to 29, I think is probably what it is. Um, Vernon Adams has in the regular season, 817 career pass attempts. Like that's. It's enough to learn and to evolve. It's a, it's, it's a Henry Burr season. And then like two games, like, well, okay. Four games of the next season. So it's not, it's just, it's so many years. It's been so many years for Vernon Adams to get it. And if he doesn't have it at now at 29, why would I think he's going to have it at 31? What, what is, what is 500 more snaps this year going to do? And that's, that's the problem. Like if he could be, we, I've, I've used this before. Like uh, Matt Nichols was 80% Trevor Harris. I was like, I was, I'm big. I'm, I love Trevor Harris. Like, it, but Matt Nichols, People say, well, what is he in Winnipeg when they're winning all these games? Like, he's 80% Trevor Harris. He's doing what needs to be done, but he's not doing anything special, and they're winning games, so sweet. Uh, If if Vernon Adams could be 80% Jeremiah Masoli, that'd be pretty great. But then even Jeremiah Masoli, though he was – I mean, you mentioned the interception last week against Winnipeg. The rest of that game, phenomenal. Like, they hung 380, and it should have been 460 on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Those numbers haven't been up since week 15 of 2019 when – Vernon Adams put 488 on the Winnipeg <laughs> defense. It's it's the thing with Masoli is, and the only thing that gave me pause, like when Ottawa improved its quarterbacking so much just by getting Masoli. However, what was his last play of the East final? Like he was getting sacked and he tried to throw one sideways yeah. or, or what? Like he makes these bizarre decisions at points where, Hey, things are great. Things are great. All of a sudden, this bridge over I-95 is great. And then, bam, it's, it's gone. Like, his decision-making just, yeah. he makes just, I can't even imagine what's going through his head as a, as a long-time veteran quarterback and bizarre decision, like, that, that I could make this happen. And, like, you clearly should not. Like, you, yeah. should, you, you just should never do this. And Vernon doesn't have the good stuff that Masoli's done already. Like, he threw for what almost 4,000 yards in 2019 and things look great. A touchdown reception was two to one. You're like, okay, well that's, that doesn't tell the whole story, but that's good on its, on its face. But 
does he win football games? No, he drags Geno Lewis out of the end zone on the final play of that game against Calgary. They should have won. He one hops a ball to, I think it was Winicky in that game. That should have been a winning touchdown. You go, you're so close, yeah. but it's that final 5% that makes that made Michael Riley, Michael Riley. Um, it, it just, I don't know. I don't know what we can do, but I hope coach Machocha when their <laughs> Montreal schedule, it was, I believe it was not easy to start the season, depending on what you thought of. They got SAS uh, coming in, I think on the Thursday night or this week too, which is, that's not great. And then uh, you're going to get Winnipeg eventually. And um, it was not set up. That's why when it, when it came to the season, like I've been high on team Ottawa and I, I had Montreal to be the worst team in the East. And people are like, what are you nuts? I'm like, you start with those two games and then go doubleheader with Saskatchewan. Okay, you're 0-4 going into the Elks game. Well, one thing I would notice when I covered soccer was, you know when managers get fired? When they're about to have a real easy stretch of games so that the new guy can have the new manager bounce. So Montreal, if they lose twice to Saskatchewan, Kahari's 0-4. Oh, I'm fired and we get to play the Elks? Oh, I'm the new coach and I get to play the Edmonton Elks who are also 0-4? Oh, let's let's have it that because and, and I make my valiant return to Commonwealth or I assume that game's in Edmonton. But like for Machocha, who was a coach there in Edmonton like that, that'll be a storyline going in. The, the yeah. most chaotic quote that I saw from Gary Stern that made me go, yeah, this isn't an if, but when is he said, I expect us to I forget what the exact quote was, but it was essentially I expect us to have a great season. I'm looking forward to us um, you know, doing great things. And if we don't, I will make changes. And I was like, oh, yeah. that, that's not a great owner quote, but I've seen that quote before. Here's the chaotic part. He says, if we don't, I will make changes. I don't exactly know what that means yet, but I will make them. <laughs> a change for the sake of change. Montreal yeah. Alouettes football. Choose your game. And again, I don't want to come back to like, should owners be talking like this? But that's, when I saw the, the quote of him saying, we're going to kill Toronto, it's great. Great stuff. But Love he, it. But he's standing in front of the Alouettes like press conference backdrop. And I was like, is Gary Stern giving Jerry Jones like press conferences in the hallway? Do it. The way that Jerry always had, like it, it, Percival Molson after games are done at home, will Gary Stern just be walking through the concourse and having media follow him while he's hook it to my veins, espousing his thoughts, conducting the draft from his yacht. Do it. Uh, after, after that Elks game, this is the uh, yep. red, this is the Montreal run, Ottawa, Hamilton, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, Hamilton, Ottawa. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Why did they, why did they take them under eight and a half wins? That's how they start the season. There's turmoil. The quarterback situation. I. It's nasty. I I just don't I just don't know what you do. Uh, I just, and we haven't even had a chance to talk about Dane Evans yet. I can't oh, wait to I see know. him against uh, whoever Hamilton has this week. Uh, Calgary, Calgary, right? Yeah. 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 Um, to find out what's happening there because Hamilton week one looked way worse than I think anybody would have expected the defense, the two-time gray cup uh, participants. Uh, So when I saw just quickly on Dane, when I saw the couple of fumbles that he gave up when he was wandering around the pocket with minimal ball security, I was like, that doesn't really look like the Dane that I know. Who's like really technically sound and slides around the pocket and is constantly aware of where he's exposing the ball and all this stuff. And it didn't even dawn on me until I saw on Wednesday that his daughter was born. That, right. That I was like, man, there might've been like a lot going through his head. And, and it's kind of like, I don't want to make excuses for somebody on the personal side because everybody's got personal stuff going on that we know nothing about. Yeah. But it's kind of like when you get to the end of the season and, and somebody's like, yeah, well, that guy's injured. It's like, they're all injured. We just don't know about most of them. Everybody's got stuff going on. But uh, as somebody who has been a first time dad less than two years ago, I can't imagine if my partner was ready to give birth and I was getting on a flight to Saskatchewan and being like, please don't do it. <laughs> please, please wait. I will be back in 24 hours. And then it happens on Wednesday yeah. and you got to play on Saturday and you're coming home to your home opener after being on one and your offense really sputtering in that game. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure on him, but this is also a week in which honestly, he's just not going to have a lot of sleep. Like, and he's going to yeah. be, he's going to be thinking about the health and well-being of his wife, Nikki and his daughter. And, and so I'm like, this is a hell of a week for him to try and juggle all of those factors and turn this thing around so they can be one-on-one and looking towards the, uh, hopefully a brighter remainder of the season than what we saw in week one. Yeah. I, I don't know which way to go with that. 
because I'm just thinking about my own life at this exact second as you and I carve out an hour to talk about football. The bank is up my butt because <laughs> See? They, need, got stuff. they need 47 things in order to process the fact we're moving a mortgage from one house to another. We need four <laughs> days of bridge financing. Uh, he keeps he keeps calling my wife to ask her stuff. She hates financial matters. I'm like, just call me, please stop doing this. While I'm on the six hour drive from Winnipeg to uh, Regina, getting used to a new job and a new situation and new technology and a new salary and new circumstances around other stuff that I'm doing outside of it and a new work partner. And now I'm traveling in Ottawa, a town I've only been to one time. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening here? And, and I don't have my computer in front of me. So I'm trying to chart games off of two different laptops and that's not going well. It takes forever. And I'm, you know, everything's going on in my life. And, and then the first play of last week's game, the first game, my first regular season game I do, I look back and I go, oh, Demario Houston is back returning kicks. That's weird. Oh, no, that's not Demario Houston. It's Tyrell Ford. It's 25, not 35. And then I just absolutely cack the first play. It's Janarian Grant grabs it at the 13 and takes it to the 37. But I could never get Janarian Grant's name out of my mouth. So I threw a pick on the first play. But then, despite all the turmoil in my life and everything going on and all this new stuff, I picked it up and then I just, yep. it was just smooth sailing because uh, this is a long way around to get to all this, but all it. this I'm stuff is this going stuff. on. <laughs> but for those three hours where I'm in the booth with, with Doug and, and, and Mike and Jerry and then Greg Mackling and, and stuff, and you're like, it just, everything else just kind of goes away. Yeah. And that's, that's for me what it is. I mean, Every time I would do sports center, no matter what was going on, like you wanted to absolutely rage punch somebody for something earlier in the day, Laura Dyken and I would always, we'd always alternate who was wanting to rage punch somebody that day. But for when you're there and you're performing, it just, it all goes away. Yep. It's just gone. And I don't know why. Um, and that's what, that's what it has to be for a professional athlete. The, the one thing I would take away is okay. Lack of sleep would probably you're not your sharpest, right? You're trying to identify who is number one for Montreal this year. Isn't that the guy from Calgary, <laughs> right? Your brain doesn't work quite the same, which would be bad for a quarterback. So I, I just think of how as performers, yes. like nobody smashing me in the face. Let's not pretend anything like that is happening except Mike. If I get out of line with the, <laughs> with the tech in the booth, uh, nobody smashing us in the face, but you're performing and it, everything else just has to kind of go away and your brain just has to work that way. And for Dane Evans, it just, it has to be that yeah. it just, so I hope, I agree. I, think I hope it it's not be. the sign of how I hope it's for him, not the sign of how it's going to go because I, I, I have these takes uh, and I have these opinions that, Hey, I'm not on team, uh, team Dane Evans. Ultimately, I kind of hope I'm wrong. Right. Because I want to see all these guys succeed and I want them to be great because great play is so much better than, Oh, we got to go find somebody else to play quarterback. Right. right. I love great. I love great players and I love great plays and I love raving about them. And I hate having to, Hey, so why did you throw it to the linebacker yeah. on that one? So I, I root for all these guys, but I just, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. And I don't want. It's yeah. fair. It's totally fair. Before uh, we get out of here, cause you got to go hang out with Suter who I'm working with in the booth tonight. Nice. eh? Uh, which is going to be a lot of fun, but uh, for for you, I, I just one thing that really jumped out at me from the first matchup of Winnipeg Ottawa that I wanted to pick your brain on was, man, they went at Winston Rose. Absolutely, and, oh, and, and in various were, ways, they yeah. Went at, whether it was four by one and they isolated him, or they were trying Every to time. run it back towards him, or like it was Ackland with an inline tight end one yeah. on one. Yeah, like Marco Dubois it, schools him down the field. Dubois, I actually asked Jeremiah about that. I said, like, were you surprised how much room Dubois carved out for you on that seam route from tight end? He's like, yeah, because Winston Rose was outside and Dubois just kept threatening his outside shoulder and he just kept widening and widening and widening and widening. And when he stuck it back to the middle, it's like that dude is like 6'4", 230. He's going to win a jump ball. Like he's got to, he played receiver at Laval. I understand he's a special teamer, but that was a great example of just let's find a variety of ways to go at Winston Rose. And even Jalen Acklin told me this week that He's like, yeah, Winston Rose was like talking smack to me from the very start of the game. And he's like, yeah. and I knew we were going to go at him. So I just didn't say anything because I was like, I'll just, I'll just let the game play out and see where we go from here. But Winston, I'm not saying this to attack Winston Rose. I was legitimately just interested in the idea that they, they, of all the people in the secondary, they were like, let's circle number 30 and find ways to get after that. Yeah. Not Taekwon Glass. Yeah. Uh, I get why he may, wouldn't be Dietrich Nichols, but not Tyquan Glass, not Nick Taylor on that field side. We're not going to try to isolate the city. They, they seem to work a lot of stuff to the middle 
uh, Malcolm Thompson getting his first start for the yeah. Bombers. But the fact, like, when I went back and watched it, like, it, this wasn't a, oh, it might be some other, somebody else's fault. Like, it's legit four by one, and here goes Acklin. Uh, the, the, the drop that, would, that should have been an 80-yard touchdown, I think Malcolm Thompson was in the area as well, would help. But the double move in the fourth quarter, where Winston just eats the inside one and Acklin's upfield for 50 yards. You go, I, I don't know that I'm used to seeing that from Winston Rose, who since you first noticed him in Ottawa, right? Ottawa, BC, Winnipeg, the NFL, Winnipeg. Uh, I, it, was, it was shocking. And it was kind of the thing we, Coach O'Shea on the, on the coach's show on OB said, yeah, I mean, just kind of offered up that Winston had a bad day. Winston and, and had Adam, a bad Adam day. Big Hill said that when he was asked this week, I saw in the media about like what was the challenge here. He just said it was just about individual assignments, just staying honest to your individual yeah. assignment. And I was like, that, that's him not wanting to say, yeah, he just got beat on double moves or he was jumping stuff or he was being too aggressive. But it's like Adam he, Big Hill he just got run by that, that's just on Adam, a couple of times. Adam Big Hill looking at the grand scheme of the offense, like even the first one where Acklin dropped it, like you said, it wasn't even like this crazy move. It was a change of gear. Like, yeah, Acklin was like seventy percent to 90% and was open down the, the post. I was like, man. So I, I don't, I guess my question is, do you think we'll see that again? Like, I think you go- have, to, if you're Ottawa Friday night, you have to explore that again. Yeah. Like, is that a thing? We're going four to the, four to the field. It's act on the loan to the boundary one-on-one. We'll see if Winnipeg rolls Thompson over the top or shades that way with yeah. anything else. But if they do, then we're going to hit you to this side and we'll see what Winnipeg does. But when an inline tight end named Marco Dubois outruns you down the field, you go, is uh, he was wearing, uh, Winston Rose is wearing a boot for a, a brief spell in training camp. And the, for, the thing I thought leaving that game was, is he, is he injured but playing through it? Or he missed a day of practice this week. They say he's fine. Who knows what that truly means? Because football teams don't always tell us the, the 100% truth because it's not in their interest to do so. But there's, why uh, a guy I think of as a top level cornerback, I don't want to throw a number around uh, a top level cornerback in the league gets torched by Jalen Acklin. Who's really good. But Marco who who was in a three point stance <laughs> runs by him it was for 50 bad. something yards. I honestly should not have should not doesn't does not compute. I can't remember the last time I saw a tight end in Canadian football win a seam route. It was the weirdest thing, but I loved it so much. And I bugged Lapo about it this week, too. When we were on the Zoom with him. I was just like, hey, oh, that was pretty good. Eh? And he's like, yeah, we got some more stuff for Marco in the package. And then I, uh, I kind of jokingly was like, you got anything for Keaton Brugling? It's his first game coming yep. up tonight. So 87. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, let's do this again at the Great Cup, because I don't think I have any more Bombers games. Oh, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> this was super fun, though. Yeah, this was great, yeah. buddy. Uh, he is Derek Taylor at DT on OB. I am. Marshall Ferguson, TSN underscore Marshall, where you can find me at CF Perspective. Uh, don't forget to go to fox40shop.com and support the people who allow us to uh, put this podcast together for you. Use the promo code CFP15 at checkout. We will talk to you next week right here on The Breakdown.